Welcome to the Woke Blokes podcast, hosted by Nick Sutherland from MindFit and Ryan Hassan from the Center for Healing. Let's get into today's episode. Geez, you're a pain in the neck. I am a pain in the neck. I like how you went straight into admitting it. Yeah. It's like yeah. acceptance. Okay, sure. The only, I don't know where that saying comes from, but I just know that you always use it as a joke. Like if someone does actually have like, oh, my neck's a bit sore. It's like, oh, that must be a real pain in the neck. Because you're a dad and you're allowed to make those yeah, dad jokes yeah. now. I've been storing these dad jokes my whole <laughs> life and they're just spewing out of me now in this vile eruption of mm. bad humour. Mel, Mel must be loving it. Look, she There's a cavalcade she, of dad she, jokes. She does a pretty good dad joke herself. Okay. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. But no, she'll give me. She'll look at me disgustedly when I make a good one. Oh, do you think because she's into it as well? Is it a look of jealous disgust? Well, like, does she wish she had come up with that one? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes we're like, nah, just straight no, that's crap. <laughs> and sometimes we'll admit we're like, nah, that's actually pretty good. But there was, we, I was doing a, a seminar with uh, Holly Sinclair the other week. Shout out to Holly Sinclair. Shout out to Holly Sinclair the woman series and we were towards the end and I must have just been loose with the crowd and I made I can't remember what the dad joke was but it was bad and um that's right Holly (laughs) Holly was talking about I think uh, how our digestive system is a big part of detox and um you know specifically taking things I think to clear your system out or no no how we hold so much um feces and everything and toxic food in our stomach and everything yeah and I'm, I said something like, oh, um, do you ever tell anyone when they come in and say that that they're full of crap <laughs> right? or full of shit? <laughs> and, um, and Mel goes, yeah, when you said that, the lady sitting next to me turned to me and just went, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that's the exact reaction you want from a dad joke. I, I, had, a, I had an absolute belter. We, um, I was up in Queensland with the trademark boys, shout out to Dan and Ed. And we were going to... We're going to do a presentation in a, in a work, um, in a, where was it, um, in, a, in a tool store. Like Total Tools yeah, or one of them yeah. ones. I can't, just, I'm having a mental blank. Um, and so I went and spoke to management about mental health and everything. And I'd flown up the night before and, and I'm like, uh, and the, I think Dan said, oh, um, how'd you get here? And, and I said, oh, I f- I flew up. Jeez, my arms are sore. Oh, no. <laughs> and, like, there was 15 tradie yeah. slash management dudes in this tiny little room, like, basically sitting at each other's laps, and the collective groan was like a Mexican wave going around the room. <laughs> <laughs> at least you got the groan. I was, but I was in it. I was so that was pure. That was just the pure. essence of uh, essence of a dad joke. Just came shining, and I held it. I owned it. I was like, "Yeah, I'm so sore because I flew." That's what you got to do sometimes. You got to own it. You do. Yeah. Sometimes I think they need to be expressed. Sometimes it'll. I'll get one in my mind, and I know it's really bad. Mm. And I have a little conversation in my head, like, just don't, not this one, not this one, but I can't, it has to come out. Yeah. And so often I'll, I'll sort of be groaning as I'm saying it, so I'm giving my own reaction. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's probably a topic for a podcast, owning it. Uh, yeah, I think that, I that'll think, be a good one for the future. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot, we can work around that. Owning your shit. Before we get into today's topic. Oh, hang on. What's what? the pain in the neck? Like, oh, yeah. Who was the first person to say it? Yeah. 
I heard that a lot when I was younger. And you're why? A, you're a real pain in the neck. How, so how how do you relate a pain in the neck to a human being? Like how could you possibly be a pain in my neck? Well, okay, here's what I think. We hold a lot of stress and tension in our like traps and shoulders and the back of the neck, that mm-hmm. area. So I think if if someone's causing a lot of stress, then maybe we hold that stress in the neck area. So it's like in the crook of the neck, they get a, cr- a crick. Is it called a crick? Um, People say, I've got a crick in my neck. Maybe. I, I've, <laughs> I've never heard that. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I like where you're coming from with that. Do you reckon? that That's all that yeah. I've got. All right. Well, I have something else. I just had a delicious Ajisen ramen, and we have them every time uh, for lunch before we record a podcast but this one was extra good for some reason yeah <laughs> it was extra good I can't quite put my finger on why it was so delicious so today. yeah it was my shout for Argison World Ramen today oh, that's right it was free that's it was free it so was good. free and there was a reason why it was free oh it was because Nick beat me at golf on last Friday. What? So, no, let's let's talk about this. I'm, I'm happy to own that okay. I lost, but this is the first time that we've played golf together. Yeah. And, you know, they say that golf is a revealer of character. It, it's you know, true, a lot true. of, um, you know, people who run businesses and they're looking to employ someone, they say yeah. do one of two things, either go play golf with them or get them drunk. Yeah. And then you'll sort of find out who their, yeah. what their real who character is yeah. like. So what, what did we learn about each other after our round of golf down at the beautiful National? Oh, good question. I think we both walked off having had a wonderful day. That's true. So I don't know. I, I just learnt uh, – no, it was probably reinforced that you're a good dude. And that's not to blow wind up your ass, but that's – Just because you beat me. No, that's true. But we had a great time. Like we, you crushed a few and we sprayed a few and we laughed our way around. And Yeah. Look, look I, from my point of view, you, you play golf like just how I thought you would. Interesting. You know? I can't wait to hear No, because you, you know how you, sometimes you someone will play golf and you see this side of them and you're like, oh, fuck, I didn't know that was that was part of them, you know? Yeah. But you, you know, it's a nice solid swing. It's a nice fluid motion. It yeah. was, you know, steady, a lot of straight balls. You know, you only started spraying them after you, you'd beat me, yeah. basically, <laughs> on the second last hole. Yeah. And, um, yeah, just very calm and cruisy around mm. the you – know, you're like the, the sultan of steel around the <laughs> – <laughs> oh, and, and while we're on golf, remember we, we ended up having two blokes join us, and they were doing the same thing. They were sort of having a, a, a match, play. match play behind in the group behind us, and they joined us for the last two holes, which is where I started spraying it. But it ends up we had lunch with them afterwards, and they were a generation older than us, and they asked what we did, and we we told them, and just sort of told them to do a podcast. And they were really um, probably open, I think, about how ignorant, in a literal sense, they were yeah. about mental health and and how this awareness that we have to change, but we sort of don't know how to. Yeah, I think it was, yeah, it was really eye-opening in a good way for me because you tend to get like, you're one of the two, there's people who are in it and around it and younger people who understand they're like really all for the awareness and understanding and then an older generation who are like oh i don't you know whatever it's it's harden up and that kind of thing and these guys are kind of in the middle they're like oh i haven't i haven't experienced myself so like i don't i I personally don't get it but i understand that it's uh, an issue that needs to be dealt with in society yeah which says to me that the uh the wheels turning in regards to public perception around these issues but it also highlights that there's a need for more education because these 
blokes of their own uh, admission are saying, yeah, we're, we're guilty of of dismissing people's feelings um, because we don't understand because we haven't experienced them ourselves. We don't know what mental health is and so we can't – they've got no empathy towards people with mental health issues or mental mm. illnesses, um, but they'd like to. Yeah. They don't know how to. I mean, then can – that's interesting. Like, I wonder, can you really like? There's education on a very intellectual and rational level, but then it's like, can you actually teach someone who's never been through it emotionally what it's like to go through something like that? No, like, I, like no, I, here's, here's, here's where I get the like a bit of an analogy. You know, I've got um, you know a guy I know, uh, your mate Tom. Shout out your mate Tom YouTube, and um, you know follow him, and he's got a guys that he sort of collabs with, and they're. Um, raising awareness around drugs, but they'll talk a lot about psychedelic drugs like you know LSD and mushrooms and that kind of thing. And and um, a lot of them they'll do videos, um, which is like a trip simulation. So well, this is what it feels like when you, you know, you're on this stuff yeah, yeah. and you're watching. It's, they do really clever stuff, you know, with their editing and yeah. all that. But you still got no fucking idea if you've never done acid that it feels like that. Well, it's the same with um, learning anything. I think in. in Working with my clients, I'm very educational, and I can sit there and whiteboard and talk and discuss, and they'll intellectualize it, but they won't fully comprehend it and understand it until they've experienced it. So we'll go and stand in the field across from work and just stand there and look at a tree, and just take a moment to be mindful. and And we'll go in to a random shop and ask a random person how they're going, and you know, get out of our comfort zones. So it's not until it's sort of that experiential learning. So mm, yeah, um, I was uh, doing I'm doing Michael Singer's uh, online course at the minute, and there's a module on the heart, and he's talking about the heart and emotions, and he you know it's like an hour and a quarter lecture, and he said at the end he said that he um, most people understand what he's talking about, but he'd given this lecture at his um, place where he lives one time, and one of the guys came up to him after and said, oh, I sort of get what you're talking about and that kind of thing, but this whole feeling in the heart, I got. I don't feel anything there. Like, I've got no idea what you're talking about. And Michael Singer's like, I believed him. Like, he was sincere. And Michael Singer just said, all right, you're going to come back in a couple of weeks. We're doing this, you know, his talk again and that kind of thing. He goes, just for the next few weeks, just focus your attention on your heart. Whenever you remember, just focus your attention on your heart and just see what you're feeling. And he ended up coming back and he's like, holy crap. I could feel all this stuff and everything and they'd worked out that this guy was a high achiever. He was a CEO of a business and that kind of thing. He was so stuck in his head and trying to solve problems and put out fires and do all this rational stuff that he literally had just been completely disconnected from his heart. And it's only when he focused on it that he was like, oh, I've got feelings down here. But then a lot of the people we work with are stuck too much in their heart. Hmm. So they're at the other end of the Exactly, yeah. But the guys down at the Nash that we had lunch with – they don't have to understand through experience what people are struggling with. I think what we can do with people like that is is just educate them how to be respectful mm-hmm. and how to how to acknowledge and va- I think validate is the key word. How to validate someone's emotions. You don't have have to have had depression because um, it's going to be very hard to empathise with someone unless you've actually gone to those depths. So I think that's where as lived, lived experience practitioners, we sort of have an extra tool in the toolbox. But blokes like those, those great guys we had lunch with, yeah, they're, they're not going to 
get into that space so they can just validate oh you had that okay great and and what was that like for you yeah so that's that's really keep, good keep, keep open about it yeah i like that i like that because what happens tend to and you know people of yeah like my parents generation and that kind of thing if you were to come forward and say hey i've been feeling depressed for the last six weeks um then the natural thing is especially guys is just like what do you got to be depressed about or let's fix it Mm. you know Mm. whereas that isn't validating what they're experiencing it's kind of insinuating that what they're experiencing is wrong yeah and saying well look this is all the good stuff in your life you shouldn't be depressed about that what do we need to do well you know let's go away for a piss up this weekend or something (laughs) so it, it it's trying to help but like it's it's not validating their experience. And I I have to walk a fine line with my clients in validating their experience but not enabling them to stay in it. Yeah. And it's like, um, I think I said this before, but I went to a, a seminar and this bloke said, who, who, everyone, put your hand up if you've got a best friend. And everyone in the room put their hand up. And he said, keep your hand up if that friend... Um, is a type of friend when something bad happens, you get fired or dumped or something, they come over with a bottle of wine and they say, oh, yeah, what a bastard. Or, oh, what a prick of a boss anyway. And heaps of people left their hand, majority of the room left their hand up. And the guy goes, I've got some news for you. That person isn't your best friend. They're a good friend. They're sympathising with you. But your best friend is the one that comes over and goes, really? Oh, fuck, that does suck, man. Let's get out of here. Let's go for a walk. Let's go and do something. They they try and shift you out of the space that you're in yeah. um, while still acknowledging and validating that, yeah. that something bad Yeah, I often um, heard the, you know, you get caught up in what words mean what, and I um, was told that there was a difference between um, being in empathy or being in compassion and oftentimes being in empathy can get into trouble because if someone's down in a pit mm. then being in empathy means oh let me jump down in the pit with you so I can feel what you're feeling I'm an empath yep and for most of my life I was doing that in yep. my history of relationships not all of them but there was a lot of there was a pattern where a lot of the girls I'd attract were suffering to some degree Weird fixing low self-esteem or whatever and i was like the statue of liberty i'm like bring me your weak your poor yeah <laughs> you know and they and i tracked them and then i'd go down to their level and and build them back up again mm-hmm. and then once they were healthy they'd fly away yeah and i'd be like oh but where are you going but what i need me? some more huddled masses to take care yeah, of yeah no but I, I was drained i was depleted because i'd given everything yeah well so so now they might have climbed their way out of that pit but then now you're still in the pit exactly. <laughs> alone yeah and it takes me a while to get back myself back out of it where now uh i, I think i had to learn this before i started practicing um I, otherwise i would have done it with clients mm-hmm. so and now i'm like oh you're in a pit i'd love to come down there but i can't but here's a ladder for you and I'm going, to, I'm going to support you and encourage you to climb up and be there for you, but I, I can't do it for you. I can't come down yeah. there with you. And so that's where the, the definition of being in compassion is. So compassion says, I'm not, I'm not getting in the pit, but and I'm not going to just point at you and say, oh, you get out of the fucking pit. <laughs> I'm going to say, okay. You shouldn't be in that pit in the first place. You're in the pit. Let's talk about why you're in the pit. And so, so now I'm validating yeah. their story and everything. Now let's talk about how we're going to get out of the pit. But yeah, and, and, and let's talk about also how you got into the pit in the first yeah. place and what you're doing is clearly not working for you. So th- there's no judgment in that. There's no, you didn't do anything good or bad or right or wrong. Yeah. It's just a, an accepted reality that you ended up in the pit 
for various reasons. Yes. And it's not where you want to be. It's not healthy. It's not sustainable. So let's work towards getting you out and keeping you out. So it's like, yeah, it's like a kind of a fine line in a process because you've got to, if you don't validate someone's story and understand and sort of get into that story and understand it, then you're not going to have rapport and it's going to be hard to get that person out of that pit. But then once you do validate the story, then you've got to watch out to not get dragged deep into the story because then yeah. they stay stuck. So you have to like get that, validate the story, get that rapport and then be able to pull someone out of it or give them the steps to pull themselves out. Yes, and, and you also have to acknowledge when someone wants to stay in the pit mm. because then there's nothing that you can do for them and they just want the sympathy, they want the... Yeah. Um, yeah, they want people to climb down and sit down in the pit with them. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's, and, I, and I refuse to do that. Yeah, that's a whole other topic. That's that victim mentality, yeah. and that's that can be a really tough one to broach because you might someone might be in the pit and you think, you know, man, th- that life in, in the pit for them looks mm. horrible. Mm-hmm. It looks really bad, and they must want desperately to get out. But if they're staying in the pit and not wanting to get out, they're getting some sort of secondary gain. Exactly. And that's where you see like maybe um, someone who has been through something rough and now they're in a support group yeah. and they w- and that's their only real connection. So if they got better, then they're not really accepted by the support group anymore. Or maybe they've got agoraphobia and they can't leave the house yet at the same time, their mum and dad will look after them. They don't have to work and they're kind of looked after. So totally. there's al- there's always some sort of secondary gain as to why someone wants and to stay stuck. And this is the thing, you know, I'm linked in with DVA and I say this is a massive part of the problem with ex-servicemen that are linked in with DVA. And I, th- I think... You, you get um, it's almost and I have, to, I have to make sure I say this respectfully um, uh, so you get pensions and you get payouts and everything for, for claims that are um, accepted by DVA they're just a big insurance company basically but I think what you see is a lot of blokes um, and I say blokes because that's just mainly what I work with that women may do it too. It'll be interesting to learn, actually. But they, it's, it's almost like we're rewarding you financially for being unhealthy, whether that's mm. mentally or physically. And I wonder what would happen if we flipped it around a bit and started. All right, you're gonna you're gonna receive some compensation for injuries caused or sustained, you know, through your service. But we're gonna re- reward you on a higher financial level if you get back to being healthy. Yeah, and I, I wonder what would happen. Very different. Yeah, I, th- I think this is an issue with all of uh, mental illness and diagnosis. So right now, there's the you know the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual, which is what psychiatrists, doctors sort of base their diagnosis. And that's getting bigger and bigger every year by the thousands. Yeah, like. it's yeah. Well, I remember when I first started studying, and we had to like pick a disorder and do a little you know thesis yeah. on it. And I was going through and looking at these disorders, and I'm like mathematics disorder yeah. it's when your child is good at most subjects but struggles in maths yeah. and there's food avoidance disorder it's when you like a lot of foods but you stay away from one type of food I'm like it's not a disorder like, I don't fucking like Brussels sprouts it's called, it's, it's called the human nature disorder yeah yeah so that this you could distill yeah. all of those you know I think there's four or five hundred different mental illnesses down into just the human condition exactly but um, I was listening to a podcast recently um which was explaining that this 
I can't remember what the company's called, but they're part of the British Psychological Society in moving away from the diagnosis model. Yeah. Um, and they the new framework, and you guys can research it if you want, is called the Power Threat Meaning Framework. Now, it's a bit wordy, and I haven't downloaded the full PDF to go through it, but the main thing is, the main question they're asking, instead of with the diagnosing uh, model, which says, let's diagnose what's wrong with you, instead it says, let's look at what's happened to you. Okay, so now we're, we're not just saying you're diagnosed with this and there's something wrong with you. It's like, hey, what's happened to you? Let's, how do we resolve that in the best way? And then obviously build yourself back up to where you were saying as to being, you know, a fully functioning member of society. Well, you don't even have to be fully functioning, but you're going you're gonna, to, I look at it in terms of capacity. So I went into the army 100% capacity. I came out of the army probably 60% capacity. I'm never going to get back to 100% capacity. But you're talking physical. Yeah, and mental as well. So I was discharged with physical and and mental disorders. But right now, um, your your I would say your mental health is much higher than it was even before you went. So this is this is this is really interesting because I had a client. I've got a client just starting a 12 week program. He's got a physical illness, um, a what was it, autoimmune disease that's really affecting his physical health Mm -hmm. and that physical health has been starting to strip away his mental health because of his cognitive um, processes that he's got in place. So I said to him, it's a wonderful opportunity for us to get your mental health much stronger than it's ever been and in doing so he's going to maybe free your physical health up to get back into a better place because of all the stress and tension and emotions you're feeling that's going to have an impact on your immune system. I don't know if we've spoken about this before. So I have an autoimmune disease. I have Crohn's disease. Uh, he had it when he was younger. There you go. So um, Crohn's disease is a inflammatory bowel disease. Can affect you anywhere from your mouth to your to your bum hole. Does it give you the shits? Yeah. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Collective groan to all the listeners out there. I could I could feel it, even though we haven't that released was a this episode zinger. yet. Oh, I'm sitting in that one. A zinger. We need that guy on the drums. <laughs> and um, with that, uh, obviously, you know, I was diagnosed when I was 19, had surgery and all that kind of jazz, and it's just seen as such a physical, physical, physical thing. And yes, it does affect your mental health, but it's also very much vice versa. So your mental health greatly affects the autoimmune mm. disease, not mm. just in my experience, but um other people I've spoken to. And, you know, I'd done every single diet in the book. I'd, you know tried elimination diet specific carbohydrate diet gluten-free dairy-free sugar-free fructose-free like keto all that stuff and basically i couldn't get my symptoms below about you know 20 percent better mm-hmm. yeah as soon as i started to i wrote a list i was listening to a guy dr john Martini, at the time he said we've always got stuff to be grateful for and every experience in life there's both an equal positive and negative so if you're only seeing negative you're just blocking out the positive you're not looking at it you're not looking at things in a balanced way so i'm like all right so i opened up a document on my computer and uh, just wrote the benefits to having crohn's disease right and i wanted to write a list of benefits and I, it took me like I couldn't even get one <laughs> like i was just staring at this thing for ages and i even left and had to come back to it but i got one and then after a while, I got two. I ended up started kind of flowing, and I had a list of you know fifteen or twenty things, mm-hmm. uh, benefits that I'd gotten of, of having this disease. And uh, from there, my symptoms started getting a lot better, mm-hmm. and I started actually openly talking about it with people because um, I was very 
you know, I didn't want to talk about. It. No one wants to talk about having a disease like that. So um, I was very closed off about it and internalised it. So by starting to talk about it, seeing the benefits, and even talking to other people who were struggling and helping them, my symptoms just disappeared. So this dude I was working with has ankylizing spondylosis or something like that, right? Um, which affects your your back and your knees and your joints, joint inflammatory basically. Um, and you know it just flares up without rhyme nor reason and, and no he's been to every doctor no one can figure out the triggers or what's going on so i'm working on it on a mental health level on an emotional level yeah. and um in the first 90 minutes in the discovery session that we had you know, i just found all these red flags all these alarm bells going off and reflected them to him and so yep he wanted to start working um came in for the first of the um, 12 week program and oh, and this is a great segue into today's topic um, we started speaking about his emotional intelligence and I explained to him that emotional intelligence or EQ your emotional quotient instead of your IQ um, is simply your capacity to have self-awareness to be self-aware and then to self-regulate and I asked him where, on a scale of 0 to 10, 10 being super in control and then 0 being no ability whatsoever, where would you put yourself? And he said 3. So he gave himself a 3 out of 10 for his emotional mm-hmm. intelligence. And I said, how does, how does that sit with you? How does that, how does that make you feel? Um, and he said something amazing, which is why I'm going to love working with this guy. He said, it's an opportunity. Mm. And I was like, fucking yeah. got one here. <laughs> got one here, people. Got a, got a live one. I got a live one. <laughs> and I know just through that one word, I know that he's going to be okay. Yeah. Because um, he's he's been so stuck. He's, just, he's, he's so disempowered at the moment. He has none of the tools, none of the resources, none of the strategies that he needs to keep himself in uh keep his mental health in good shape yeah well that's that's someone that you know you're not going to have the issue of uh any victimhood in the pit by that one little sentence yeah Yeah, it was incredible so i picked up on a few things in the discovery session which is an opportunity for clients to get an understanding of how I work and who I am and where I come from, but also for me to identify what, what they're bringing to the table. And there's, there's people that I, I suggest we don't work together after that discovery session because of that victim mentality, because they're closed-minded, because they want to argue and you know, just they don't want to go with the process. But yeah, picked up on a few things, and I was like, I can't wait to see what this guy brings. And he brings opportunity. I'm like, answer. <laughs> Let's, Let's go. go. <laughs> so yeah, so I wanted to talk today about emotional intelligence. Love it. Very um, important topic. Yeah. So as I said, it's the capacity to be self-aware and to self-regulate. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I looked it up uh, on the um, cloud before and. I search definition of emotional intelligence and their version is the capacity to be aware of, control and express one's emotions and to handle interpersonal relationships judiciously and empathetically. Well, judiciously. Mm. So, yeah, as I said, I'll I'll just break it down into simple terms. Uh, So it's being aware of your emotional state. How am I feeling? Am I feeling upset? Or I I, I sort of refer to it as, as being inflamed emotionally you know if, if someone smacks their leg or breaks their leg their leg will swell up 
and I think the same happens emotionally. We, we have emotional swelling. Um, so it's a capacity to be, where am I right now? Am I in anger? Am I guilty? Am I in shame? Am I, which emotional state am I in? And then to work our way out of that emotional state back to, I don't know, back to being equanimous, I suppose, calm. Yeah, and yeah I think um, that's the first step. That first step is awareness because when we're not in that state, then we are run by our emotions without really knowing it. We're, we're unconscious, yeah. so to speak. So we won't stop and say, oh, I'm feeling anger for, and we'll start to work out what reason that is. We'll just be angry and we'll start to like, you know, damage relationships and that kind of thing and push people away. And then we get to a point where we're like, Oh, why does nobody want to talk to me? Why is my why is my life so fucked? <laughs> and it's because we didn't become aware of our emotional state and how it was affecting our life. Because our emotional state affects everything. Totally. Absolutely everything. Totally. We are emotional creatures. Uh, people like to think we're rational and logical, but we just aren't. Well, we can be, and this is the second part of what it is: is emotionally maturing. Mm. This is this is a, the second part of the discussion I want to have today. Because I see, by and large, most fully grown adults are more often emotionally immature Mm -hmm. than mature. And by mature, I mean a few different things. They haven't accepted responsibility for their happiness, so they haven't identified that they are responsible no one else is they are and then embrace that so adults are responsible we have responsibilities mm-hmm. um, children don't by and large you know? so children aren't responsible for their emotional state they don't have the cognitive capacity to mm. to regulate yeah exactly they've got their emotional intelligence is um underdeveloped you know, same as their IQ because they're going to school they're going to learn things yeah so, but when we reach adulthood, I think we have a duty to ourselves and in turn the people around us uh, to emotionally evolve, to emotionally yeah. develop, to emotionally mature. You're right, but we don't, we get stuck. So it's like that the IQ increases, but the EQ kind of stays the same. And they've actually done studies on IQ versus EQ. People with higher IQ are not happier. Like there's no correlation between happiness and IQ. EQ, on the other hand, there's a correlation between the higher your emotional quotient is, the happier you are. Yeah. And we get stunted. And I think one of the reasons for that is, and Gabor Mate talks about this a lot, is that when we are young and our parents were just other adults, we're talking about adults, and they're not necessarily emotionally mature as well, um, when we're growing up and we can't regulate our emotions, we're punished for being emotional when we literally don't have the ability to regulate. And yep. this you see this when, you know, if a kid's really angry and instead of being able to hold that anger with them, you get put in time out. Yeah. So it's like, oh, okay, well, we're, this person, who little kid who can't regulate their emotions, we're going to punish them for not doing something they, they literally can't do and yeah. actually have them go sit by their self. So then I think as we grow up, we start to get this sense that, anger fear sadness all this stuff i'm not meant to feel it Mm -hmm. right and now we can't avoid these emotions you know we can get better and mature and everything but we're not going to avoid feeling these emotions ever because our emotions are feedback well i i see yeah our emotions are feedback but what if it's only feeding back the irrationality of our belief system and and you know the work that i'm doing is underpinned by buddhist and stoic philosophy Mm -hmm. 
and I see what I went through, you know, my rock bottoms, my metanoia was, um, I term it as unnecessary suffering because, and that's what I see all around me, all these adults in anger or in guilt or shame or stuck in a negative emotion is unnecessary suffering because there are things that we can learn. There is an emotional development course, which is basically what I'm running, that we can do to evolve and to experience less anger. We don't want to become robots and emotionless no. creatures, but we can we can experience more positive emotion. I don't like positive and negative emotion, but more healthy emotion, more mm-hmm. emotion that feels good yep. than the emotions that don't feel good. Yes, but we get we, we get stuck and we stew in the emotions that don't feel good. But that's it. We get stuck because we don't know how to get out of it. Yes. So then, so with the way you know we approach things here is when I say feedback. So an emotion should be feedback. Like if I'm crossing the road out here, I'm not paying attention, and a car beeps, and it's I get feedback. fear responsible. That's feedback. Just fucking get out of the way of the car. <laughs> Most. Die. But then. If I have an emotion, say, you know, I, I'm getting in relationships and whenever I feel like my partner's about to leave, um, I go into a complete fucking meltdown, right? And I have this huge reaction. Mm. Now, that is feedback maybe then. Well, what's it telling you? Well, if the work we do here is we'd find out that possibly mum or dad abandoned them when they were younger. And so now whenever someone in a relationship feels like they're going to walk away, they'll go into complete meltdown because I think that's going to happen again. Mm-hmm. So this is now feedback for us to say, um, okay, the root cause of that, which is just abandonment stuff with my mum or dad, that's what we need to work on. Because what happens when we have a huge emotional reaction when we're younger and we form one of these limiting belief systems that hold us back, it's because we suppressed an emotion, we didn't know how to deal with it, and we didn't feel safe to, and then we create this belief, and then we go through life playing out the same kind of scenarios over and over and over again. And forms. Yeah, and that exact same emotion gets triggered every time. So then we want to go back and find the source of that emotion so we can stop having these reactions in these similar situations. So does it matter that mum or dad abandoned us or does it matter that there was a belief formed based on that event? Do you need to identify the event specifically? Yeah. So it's like – so if you imagine the word trauma, right? Now everyone's got a different word for trauma. People go, oh, well, it's sexual abuse, physical abuse. That can be one definition. My definition is – so trauma, there's three things. There's an event – which is happening all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> An event happens that comes in through our senses to be perceived. There's a strong negative or if just a strong emotion, whether that be guilt, shame, anger, fear, sadness, hurt, that was suppressed. And we formed a limiting belief about ourselves, like I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I'm alone, mm-hmm. I'm abandoned, mm-hmm. I don't trust men, I don't trust women. So this is what we would call here a, a traumatic event mm-hmm. because it starts off a chain of events or a gestalt of similar events throughout our life where the exact same emotion gets triggered and the exact same limiting belief system gets reinforced. Yeah, And so whenever we have a chain of these events, you know, who knows how many we have, but they're just causing 80 or 90% of the stress in our life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, So our whole thing is getting out of that belief, that story and that emotion. It's, it's amazing. And I, I guess that's why we love hanging out because – it's amazing how similar we are yet how different we are. Yeah. So you working that way is almost identical to how I work, but it's just in a different context. It's you know, your word for event is my word for stimulus, and yes. then re- then we react and then we go into a space. So that's how I see things, and and 
that's Victor Frankl's work. You know, between stimulus and response lies a space, and in that space lies your power to choose, and in that choice lies your freedom. So, uh, Victor Frankl came out of concentration camps with this understanding after having lost everything. Uh, and and basically, that's that's very Buddhist. It's very stoic. It's life doesn't happen to me. There's just all this stimulus around, and then I have a reaction to it. So I hear people all the time saying, "He he makes me so upset." Mm. He doesn't make you so upset. He is the stimulus, and your reaction to that stimulus is to create an upset state. Yes, uh, and and two people can have the exact same stimulus and have completely different responses. Yeah, based on what. Yeah, so I'll, I'll, the more a person is triggered into an emotional state. Uh, the more hypersensitive areas that they've got that need healing. Mm. But um, this is where it comes back to emotionally maturing and evolving and developing. You know, it, it's that um, I, I, I think by and large children are completely irrational and illogical because okay, they haven't developed. They haven't had enough time to mature and all that sort of stuff. So many adults are also irrational and illogical. And it's based on, uh, in my world and in my work, it's based on these cognitive distortions or unhelpful thinking styles. Mm -hmm. So I want to rattle through a few of these. And I love... While while you're pulling them up, just um, it's funny, I watch um, Tommy, my little boy, sometimes go through his emotional states and... You know, I'm quite in awe of him sometimes because he can't regulate, obviously, being a little baby, but he'll go through, like, all the emotions in, like, an hour and he's, like, he's through them like that. Yeah. Like, something happens and he's upset as hell and he's crying and then, you know, I pick him up and then he's, like, oh, and he's just smiling and he's just just gone through it. And then I think about us as adults and it's, like, man, I can can take a sadness (laughs) feeling and I can hold it for fucking (laughs) weeks and months. But that's the thing: as adults, we tend to hold on to shit. Yeah, so we can look at the the child and go, "Oh, how look how silly they are with their emotions." We're like, we're just as silly, just in a different way. So, and I think that's because our filters are completely different. So, as adults, we're filtering things, and ego gets involved as well. Whereas yeah. kids, you're just experiencing things, so yeah. they're not holding on to it. Yeah, they're in the process of developing that filter and that ego, but it's just not formed yet. So, these are some unhelpful things. So, they've got styles. nothing to defend. Hey. It's, so with, they haven't got these filters and this ego formed yet, so there's kind of nothing for them to defend or no reference point. Well, it's such a natural state for them. Yeah. It's just, uh, I mean, this is what I'm experiencing. This is what I am. Yeah. I'm angry. I'm sad. There's no reason for us specifically. It's yeah. just a, a state that I'm in and I'm constantly in fluctuation. Yeah. And I'm not judging myself for yeah. being in that state. Yeah. All right. Here's with the distortions. All right. So imagine these, right? And you can, if you if you print this list out, and sit down with a four-year-old, within an hour, you could tick all of these off. If I, if you and I sat in the food court eating ramen and had this list, we could tick off a lot of these with adults that we, that we observe. Right. And this is where I'm saying that we haven't matured past these irrational beliefs. All right, reel them off. I'll see how I'm going. All or nothing thinking, sometimes yep. called black and white thinking. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Mental filters are only paying attention to certain types of evidence. Hey, wait, can I, sorry, the black and white one. I was literally thinking about this yesterday 
and because I was thinking about someone who was, you know, very black and white, and I used to be super black and white, right? So, everything yeah. was super. Now I'm like, every everything's great, yeah. right? And yesterday I was thinking about it, and I'm like, I'm a hundred percent sure everything's great. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'm being black and white, thinking about it's the fact that it's not black and white. Isn't it? <laughs> An oxymoron, sorry. <laughs> Just a moron, I think. <laughs> Don't put yourself down, man. Uh, all right. So all I'm saying. So if I'm not perfect, I have failed. Either I do it right or not at all. It's 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 so it's concrete. Oh, black and white thinking in my clinic is also bamboo and the oak tree. Mm-hmm. So it's bam bamboo style thinking is more flexible and it's open and it's adaptable and it's it's a bit more freeing. Mm. Where so it's bending. Yeah, it's going with the, the flow. It's yep. it's able to move around. A uh, oak tree thinking way of thinking is very rigid. It's concrete. It's inflexible. It's just nah, 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 snap. Mm. Yeah, it's it, it doesn't have the capacity. And because we don't live in a black and white world, yet if we walk around with black and white thinking, there's going to be things that are constantly coming into our lives to challenge us. Yes. And if we don't have that ability to bend, then we're going to continue to break. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually talking about that at uh, my industry association world conference later this year. The whole Whoa. bend sem- or break. It is bend or break. What is resilience? All right, um, jumping to conclusions. <laughs> I know what you're about to talk about now. It's <laughs> fucked. It's bullshit. So there's a couple of types. Uh, there's mind reading. So imagining we know what others are thinking. Yeah, I know what she's thinking. She's going to say no if I go up and ask her for a date. Yeah, it's like... Do you know that, buddy? Yeah, it's yeah. Like, it's this thing. Yeah, the, I've heard the analogy. And I've done this myself. And like, say it's the morning and then your partner messages you and she say, hey, when you get home tonight, we need to have a chat about something. <gasps> right? Then the whole day, like you're playing out the conversation that's going to happen, and you're imagining what they're going to say. Then you prepare your defence about what they're going to say. But that's a hypersensitivity that's been triggered. Yeah, and you then live in fight flight mode all day in fear yes. of the unknown, and that is anxiety by definition. Yes, I can't do that anymore. If someone sends me that, I'd go, "Oh, that's interesting. I wonder what that'll be about." Yeah, and I'm getting better. But it's taken me 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> and then you get home and you're like, all right, and you're, you're, you're like about to bloody shake and, you know, get your defences up. And they're like, just want to let you know, you know, we, I booked that holiday for us. I yeah. know, you know, <laughs> it would be great for us. And you're like, oh, thanks, babe. That is a perfect example of what I was saying before about unnecessary suffering. Yes. Purely mind-made suffering. It is. That isn't real. It is. Yeah. None of it's real. It's all a fucking illusion. Um, emotional reasoning. So assuming that because we feel a certain way, what we think must be true. So I feel embarrassed, so I must be an idiot. Yep. Yep. Um, labeling, massive one. Assigning labels to ourselves or other people. I'm a loser. She's a bitch. I'm completely useless. They're an idiot. So mm-hmm. it's judging. Um, overgeneralizing, the global thinking, this is also called. So everything is always rubbish. So clients come in and say, oh, uh, everything's giving me the shits today. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. And they're like, why are you sorry? I said, oh, I didn't mean for my couch to give you the shits today. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, what? 
I said, my couch, it must, I'm so, I don't know what it did. Is it not comfy enough? And they're like, oh, it's very comfy. Well, but you said everything is comfy. Well, I didn't mean everything. <laughs> well, you fucking said it. Yeah. So this is, this is the thing. It's a subconscious yeah. narrative that's coming. Generalizing in. is also where a lot of, you know, racism and things come into play, oh, you know? Let's not go down that path just yet. All right. Um, so nothing good ever happens. It's That's... It's mixed in with this next one, which you were talking about before, disqualifying the positives. Mm-hmm. So it's discounting the good things that have happened or to you or, not, or that you've done. And if someone says, yeah, but what about this? Oh, no, that doesn't count. Yeah. You know, no, but I didn't do that. Oh, anyone would have done that. You're mm-hmm. sort of very dismissive of the positive things that you do. This is a big one, <laughs> no pun intended. Magnification, so catastrophizing. And minimization as well. So yeah, blowing catastrophizing, things, out, blowing yeah, things out of proportion. Yeah. Yeah, that's like, you know, something, you know, bad happens at work and you're like, oh, my whole life's fucked. Yeah. My relationship's fucked. My finances are fucked. So that's overgeneralizing and, and catastrophizing yeah. all in one. Yeah. It's a double whammy. And it's also going to the worst case scenario as well. It's yep. just that uh, it's, uh, the world's going to fucking end. Yeah. No, it's not. Um, this is massive. Should using the word should and must and ought to, it's, it's critical thinking. It's linked in with that oak tree, yeah. Very rigid, very solid. I think as must. soon as you say those words, you're automatically invoking guilt. As soon as you use those words, you are placing a demand on the world and you are setting whoever you're imparting that word on, you're setting them up to fail, right. I, I meant if you were doing it yourself, like oh, I should be doing this. Yeah, well, that's yeah. going to create guilt. But it, so that's internally. But if you go externally with it, it's just setting someone up to fail. Yeah, you should do this because often we don't communicate our expectations. Mm-hmm. We keep them hidden to ourselves, and then when the person ultimately doesn't learn what your expectations are and then doesn't meet them, you failed. You didn't do this. You didn't read my mind. And You're the cause of all my suffering and misery. <laughs> oh. Well, Funny creatures, aren't we? Uh, and personalising. So this is my fault. Blaming yourself or taking responsibility for something that wasn't completely your fault or conversely blaming other people for something that was your fault. So they're just a list of a few. Um, I think everyone can identify with at least one of those. Yeah. yeah, And we all use them because it's, it's human nature. I still use them. But um, where I would have used them 90% of the time, I'd probably use them... Fifteen percent of the time now. So this comes. But I've had to work my ass off to do that. But first thing you had to become aware of them. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so this is back to even that that first step with the emotional intelligence piece. So the first step to that and these cognitive distortions or biases is becoming aware of them. And we can't become aware of them or start to change them if we're completely stuck in them. So it's like you know, say if someone is upset, right? And it's like, I'm upset. And then using these distortions, everything's fucked. You know, nothing's going right. And then you say, how, how do you know you're upset? It's like, well, I feel it, you know. Yeah. But how do you, how do you know that you're upset? Goes, because I feel it. It's like, who feels it? I feel it. And then you're like, okay, now we can get somewhere. So there's a you in there who feels the emotion, okay. Now we can create some distance, okay. Because there's some awareness in all of us that sees these thought patterns and feel these emotions and sees the events that's happening, and that's the awareness that's 
watching these things. So if I can now come from that place, I can start to watch my emotional reactions and my thought patterns, which is the first step to becoming more intelligent with this stuff. But it's also only just a part of you. It's not all of you. Yeah. It's just... It's just one part in that moment that you're noticing. Yeah. And the funny thing about emotions as well is we feel like that whatever state we're in, we're going to be stuck in forever, even though that's never happened before. Yeah. So if I'm like deeply anxious, then I feel like I'm going to be anxious forever when it's not the case. So there's a couple of other ones that I think are very relative. So I touched on personalization and everything, but if you if you walk around taking everything personally, it's going to create that victim mentality, isn't it? But what you're doing is you're thinking that the world is revolving around you. It's a very egotistical cognitive distortion because you are the center of it. Everything, it's all about me. Yeah. And people have got enough shit to deal with in their lives to not put you at the center of it yeah you it's get like, to these oh <laughs> you are spending all this time thinking no i'm not i, I thought of you for a minute or two and yeah. that was it because <laughs> don miguel ruiz talks about in yeah. the third agreement don't take things personally he said nothing anybody else does has anything to do with you yeah and that we've got you know we've got this movie that we're running and we're the main character and there's all <laughs> secondary characters but we're just a secondary character in everyone else's movies exactly. we're not the star in everyone's fucking movie no uh control fallacies um control fallacy manifests as one of two beliefs that we have no control over our lives and are helpless victims of fate or two that we are in complete control of ourselves and our surroundings so i had a client come in yesterday first of the 12-week program for her and in an hour she learnt. she came in and she said i i have her her exact words i think were i have um, massive control issues and I just parked on that for a minute I said let's just let's just pull that apart for a sec do you have massive control issues like that's powerful language I have massive and if you keep repeating that narrative you're just gonna reinforce it I said maybe you don't have control issues maybe you have um, some problems relating to being in control Okay, uh, what she said was very concrete. It was very ironclad. So I was trying to loosen it up and make it a bit more. Because what I think as well, people do is they want their issue to be the biggest of issues. So if I say <laughs> I have I have massive control issues, then I'm like, yeah, other people might have control issues, but, but mine, mine are bigger, massive. Man. Mine are fucking huge. And that's that's the ego again, wanting to be the yeah. most at something, even yeah. if it's negative. But we we brought it back to she's not actually in control. She's trying to control the environment and the people around her because, and and for me, and so it's irrational once again. Uh, so everything we're talking about for me comes back to these three the three amigos these three toxic beliefs that I Huey, Dewey and Louie Huey, Dewey and Louie the the three non-Mexican named amigos (laughs) Juan and Pablo Pablo (laughs) and Martino Um, so I must be loved or liked Mm -hmm. I must be perfect and I must get what I want so the client yesterday was thinking she had these massive control issues but what was actually occurring is she had an underlying fear anxiety around money and she was needing to control the financial situations of of other people 
because of her insecurities about money, which stemmed from way back, mm-hmm. you know, generations. Um, and so when she didn't get what she wanted, which was for these people to do these things to then da-da-da-da-da, uh, she had an adult tantrum. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting uh, and I'm so fortunate to be able to work with these incredible people because like my other clients, she sat there and, and she allowed me to non-judgmentally reflect these to her. I'm just a big mirror mm-hmm. basically and I'm reflecting to her. And she sat there and she allowed herself to see the true nature that was going on. She's like, oh my God. So she's walking around with no awareness. And and if she's not aware, how is she in a position? How does she have any capacity to self-regulate? You can't. So she's completely disempowered. And she cannot mature. She cannot evolve. She cannot move past these irrationalities Mm -hmm. unless she puts herself in a position, in an environment where someone can do this for her. Yes. Which is where we come into it. Oh, 100%. Um, And I think that once you can start to create that awareness, I think the next step is then to be curious because you've mentioned non-judgmentally quite a few times. It's like, all right, well, now I'm becoming more aware of my emotional state. Um, It's best not to say, oh, I'm feeling sad again. What a fucking loser. It's it's better, oh, I'm feeling sad. I wonder wonder what this is about. Yeah, but if as soon as you... People mistake strong mind for closed-minded. Yeah. People think, oh, I'm so strong-minded. That's just stubborn. And when you're stubborn, you've closed your mind off yeah. to any other ideas, to entertaining any other scenarios or whatever the case may be. So a strong mind for me, and I spoke to this with, about this with this client as well, is she's basically holding on out of fear. So she's not in control. So she, her, her control issue, if she wants to have one, is that she's holding on out of fear and she's not in control of her yeah. emotional state. Yeah. And that's going to be fantastic to, over the next 12 weeks, work with her to create some freedom and to free her up and give her an opportunity to let go and to move into a yeah. much healthier headspace. Yeah, I think it's when we feel the most out of control is when we try and control everything the most. I said to her, I gave an example of, imagine if you broke your leg and you're on crutches and in plaster and you walked into you know, somebody's house, instinctively you would be on the lookout for any danger. Toys on the floor, stairs, something to trip Chairs over. in the way. Yeah, exactly. And you'd be like, excuse me, can you move that? Can you move this? You try and control that environment because you don't want to experience more pain and we do exactly the same thing emotionally emotionally she's walking around on crutches with a broken leg i don't want to experience more pain so can you please do this this and this and then when people don't do that because their value systems aren't aligned with hers then she takes it personally doesn't takes it personally (laughs) doesn't get what she wants and so all of a sudden there's this snowball effect and she's completely ignorant to all of that Mm. and once again that's non-judgmentally it's just that's just how it is yeah yeah, I like that analogy. That's a good one with the broken leg because um, it's true. I think as we've got these two needs as humans, um, one is for certainty but one's also for variety and it's like we're always on a spectrum and so you can't – if everything was uncertain it was all variety, it would be chaos. <laughs> you fucking lose control. But if everything was certain, then life would be so boring. Like you'd know everything that was about to happen because you'd be certain. Yeah. And so the more that we dip towards the uncertainty side, the more we're trying to cling on to certain things. Unless we go into a sense of trust, which is what mm. this woman doesn't – You know, the ship is safe in harbour. That's not what ships are built for. 
this this amazing woman yesterday oh, we unpacked fairly quickly that she's constantly living in fight flight she's living in fear she's living this underlying anxiety is always circulating through her and what we're going to do is we're going to teach her how to shift into living in trust instead of living in fear mm-hmm. and when you live in trust like the captain of that ship that leaves the harbour it is the unknown there is so much uncertainty but when you trust the seaworthiness of your ship and when you trust your skills as a captain mm-hmm. and you fully accept that there's going to be beautiful sunny days but there's going to be days where the waves are coming over the bow and winds howling and you embrace all you know and and put it as one then you're in a much better position to self-manage and to self-regulate yeah and how, how are you going to get her to trust which is not trusting at the minute. How, so do, you, how do you create, take someone into that trusting state? We've got to shift our beliefs. We've got to stop. Yeah. We've got to clean out these. This is that metanoia process. This is we've got to break down her belief system and then reconstruct it with healthy, mature, open, flexible beliefs. Yeah. So I I have all the skills, tools, and resources to manage whatever comes into my life. Mm-hmm. Is a core belief that I operate off now. Mm-hmm. Where she's running around with, I must get what I want, I must be loved, and I must be perfect. Mm. <laughs> You're not going to get very far with those. There'll be a bit of suffering involved. Well, yeah. and it's all unnecessary. Yeah. Because we can change those things. Yes. And sometimes that process is interesting because when you start to break down a belief, it is part of your ego dying. And that I think that is the metanoia process. So you're breaking down those beliefs so we can install some new software or programming that is a lot more empowering than before. But your beliefs create your thoughts and your thoughts come in the form of a thinking style, which are those cognitive distortions or unhelpful beliefs. And then those thinking styles trigger a chemical reaction which creates a feeling and then those feelings influence our choices and those choices create our behaviour. So what she was focused on was her, was her controlling behaviour mm-hmm. and hence why she had this narrative that I have massive control issues where she couldn't see all the way, she didn't take the elevator all the way down to the bottom floor and find the core yes. of that was these, was this, you know, if you had gone down to her sub-basement, there's just this irrational party going on. <laughs> And it's like, hey, I must be perfect. I must be loved. I must get what I want. Come on in. An irrational party. Yeah. But when, that, when those things don't come into fruition, because we have a newsflash, we don't live in a utopian perfect world. Mm. When, so when those things naturally don't occur, she, here comes the suffering. Yeah. And that's so, that emotional roller coaster. So everything is so conditional. Yeah. You know, I heard we're, some, we're outsourcing our happiness. Yeah. I think this happens in you know, these negative terms, but also in positive terms. I was listening to something recently and it's like, you know, we'll, we'll see someone who reflects back to us some of our best qualities and we, we say, oh, I'm bloody instantly in love with this person and I'm going to go out with them and move in with them. And then you're like, oh, come back in a month and see me and see how that's going. Yeah. Because just in that moment, it reflected back to us. And then I heard this saying was that, i get this right, anything that happens for a reason won't last because it's conditional mm. yeah so that's I know it's good to wrap your head around that one mm. so anything that happens for a reason <laughs> won't stay mm-hmm. because it's conditional mm-hmm. yeah so that can but be but nothing stays because everything's impermanent that's right yes well no well here's if I can tap into so it's like if I say I'm going to 
I need a new job because I'm, I'm unhappy in my job. And if I get this new job, I'm going to be happy because I went and did it for a day and it made me happier than this job, right? That job won't make you happy for long um, because it's conditional. But if I can tap you, so you said before, there's those, what are the three things? I must be loved. I must be perfect. I must be perfect. And I must get what I, and want. I, must get what I want. So if you can break down those beliefs and come to the realization that, yeah, you must be loved, you should always love yourself. There's no lack of love, mm-hmm. right? Secondly, you you are perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> every Perfectly single perfect. Every, yeah, every single human being's perfect, yeah. right? And then thirdly, you are getting what you want because the experience that you're having right now is exactly the experience you're meant to have. Yeah. Right? So all of a sudden there's no conditions on any of those things. So if I'm I'm at peace with all those three, no matter what I'm doing, I'm gonna be fine. So you can intellectualize them. Yeah. But how do you live and breathe them? Yeah, I'm I'm still working yeah. on it. So, so I, I think an antithesis it. for those things is uh, when I did that CBT course, I think I've mentioned this one before with um, Dr. Dom Dimitri. No? I don't know. Um, who was that guy that you were listening to before? Dr. Uh, John Martini. Yeah, so that's, that's why I'm getting confused. Yeah, Dr. Dom Dimitia, I think. Uh, and he's this seven-year-old, very well-renowned professor of psychology. And I, I was fortunate enough to, to sit in with him for four days in this cognitive behaviour therapy course. And he comes in and he's like, everyone sit down. He's like this 70-year-old American. Have I told you this? Yeah, yeah. I can't remember what he said yeah. next. Though. So he goes, you're all ignorant, yeah. you're all incompetent, and you're all mediocre. And I'm, I'm cheering in my head. I'm like, fuck yes. I'm in the right place. And I look around and everyone's going into suffering. <laughs> and these are all mental health practitioners. These yeah. are all people that are meant to teach people how to be mentally and emotionally healthy. Yeah. Yet they're not being responsible for their own happiness. <laughs> and I love those things. And, and on their own, you're ignorant, you're, con- you're incompetent, and you're... Um, Mediocre, yeah, they they're pretty depressive. They're deflating, yeah. If you take it personally, yeah. But if you add to it this this hidden asterisk and put it to a degree after it, mm. then all of a sudden it comes this massive relief because it flattens everyone out and we're all mediocre. Yes. Yeah. Some people are better at acting and they're put in front of a camera and paid millions of dollars. But you know what? I'm better at. Golf. Know, managing my emotional state than them or yeah. having less ego or thinking in a cleaner way. Mm-hmm. So we're all good or bad in some areas, but by and large, we're all pretty average. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> and when you come into a full and unconditional, not conditional, but unconditional acceptance of that, life's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you're taking away your own specialness and you think that that would put you into suffering but it actually has the reverse effect it's like sometimes when you think about the how short of a time we're here on this planet and you think that the big bang happened 13.8 billion years ago and you can't even wrap your head around that number look if you think of like i've been here for 35 years if i can imagine 80 years and like that's you know 80 90 might be my life that's a bloody long time what about 200 years what about a thousand years what about 10,000 years what about a hundred thousand years what about a million what about 10 million what about a billion 13.8 billion years and we're here for about 80 years and we think that we're the center of the universe and we're the most important thing that's how you go <laughs> it's just crazy there you go and i think part of this emotional maturing which i highly encourage all of us to undertake um is 
is part of that is getting rid of the ego or deflating it. And we've spoken about ego and ego. We can't get rid of ego. And I think we have different understandings of that perhaps. But in part of that maturing, it's it's stop taking things personally. Stop making everything about you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I speak to our little four-year-old and I'm like, the world doesn't revolve around you, buddy. And even he grasps that concept mm-hmm. where I say it to some clients and like, oh, what? what do you mean it doesn't? <laughs> Sure feels like it. <laughs> but this is the thing. When we use shoulds, for example, we're trying to – we're imposing our needs upon the world and it creating an expectation that everything should happen to meet our needs. So we're trying to bend and twist and shape the world, the universe – to to make it tick all the boxes that yeah. we need to happen. And if they don't happen, then it's fucked or it's shit or it's bloody not fair. You know, unfair is another cognitive distortion. It's that um, the fallacy of fairness. While we would all probably prefer to operate in a world that is fair, this assumption is not based in reality and can foster negative feelings. Yeah. So those three cognitive distortions create these four emotional disturbances, which is anxiety, depression, guilt, and anger. But so many of us, so many of these adults that I'm observing, and, and I did too once upon a time, live in the reality of what we think should happen mm. or live in the reality of what we potentially believe could happen. Yes. Instead of the reality of what does happen. And now, yeah, and the reason why we want reality to bend to our wishes is because we don't want reality to hit our stuff, our emotional and our mental baggage. But that's that ego. And people think that the, the people think that things happen to them. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't. Things don't happen to us. No, the, the moment out there has nothing to do with us. No. It's going to happen whether we're here or not. But the re- what I'm saying is the reason why we want things to be a certain way is because we don't want to ha- be disturbed in here, in our heart and our mind. Well, that's, o- that's only when we're hypersensitive. When you move through that, when you clean all that shit out, when you heal fully, none of that exists. Correct. Uh, I, you know, if, if, you, if you're listening to this, I want you to take a moment to think about whether, which reality you're living in. Are you living in the reality of what you think should happen? and have these unconscious or subconscious demands of the people around you and of your work and should your boss be doing this and should your partner be doing this and should your child be doing this? Mm. Just have a think of how many shoulds that you've got. Or are you living in the potentially of what could happen? Oh, yeah, but but if they change or if this happens or if that happens then it'll get better, Mm. that's living in the potential. And I've done all of these, believe me. (laughs) I know them inside and out. and then have a think about what would happen if you lived in the reality of what does happen. And, and there's this whole thing around movement, around mindfulness these days. But people talk about mindfulness, yet they don't teach people how to be present, how to sit in that space between stimulus and response, how to not be hypersensitive, how to let go of ego, how to stop personalising, how to do all these things that it takes to be mindful. So it's great to speak of mindfulness mm-hmm. and of being present, but it's it's a completely different story to actually learn how to be those things. A hundred percent, because I think we just we grow up and we fall into the that should trap ninety nine point nine percent of the time. Yeah, but but, but uh, it's up to us as our responsibility is to our own happiness to learn 
yeah. how to get out of them. Yeah, so it's like uh, it's, you can say, I'm going to make a commitment today that I'm going to be happy no matter what and I'm just going to let the moment unfold in front of me and I'm 100% committed to that. Well, and then all of a sudden, your partner breaks up with you, leaves you yeah. for someone else and you're like, oh, that's fucked, I'm not happy. And so, all right, well, you've just put a condition on your happiness. So you're happy to be happy, except if your partner leaves. People's, now we do that with everything. If they yeah. say the wrong thing, if the bin's not put out. But people people look at me and, and they think I'm emotionless because I don't react when what they perceive to be bad things happen. Mm. And I'm very much, as I said, I'm an empath. I feel things deeply and I've had to learn how to sort of temper them so I'm not so emotionally driven. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I, uh, I've come in to an understanding. I've worked really hard to evolve and to mature and to develop this part of me that understands that uh, everything is permanent and it's not about me and things come and go and and so what I do now on an autopilot level is go into an appreciation for that chapter an appreciation for the, to be grateful I played golf with this dude yesterday and he's just been retrenched I was talking about to you over my delicious free ramen uh, shout out to Ajisen World Ramen and sponsor of the show Ajisen sponsor World of the ramen. show they don't know it yet but they uh, do not know it yet they will um and so it's been retrenched and he he asked what I did for a living. I said, I teach blokes to get their mental health in shape and then to keep it there. And, um, and he's like, oh, wow, that's interesting. And we sort of had, had a chat about it. And he said, yeah, I've just been retrenched. And, um, uh, and I was listening to his language and I reflected to him and said, mate, you're doing a really good job. And he goes, what do you mean? I said... Similar to a florist going out for dinner, unconsciously they're going to look at the floral arrangements in the restaurant. I said, I do the same thing with with people and their language, much Mm. to my partner's dismay and disgust. (laughs) 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 Sorry, honey, I'm trying. Um, And I said, I've just just run a knee over the language that you've been using and I think you're doing a great job, mate. You're remaining present. You're not going into fight flight. You're going into trust. He's using constructive thinking instead of destructive thinking. Mm -hmm. And I spoke to him about that and I term it taking the hard path instead of taking the easy path. And it hit him and he goes, I just realised how fucking hard you have to work on keeping your mind in good shape. And I said, great um, insight to come into but to reinforce and have a think about walking into a gym and then just standing there for an hour and walking out if, without touching a weight how's your physical health going to be different when you walk out of there it needs to meet resistance but it yeah. ne- you need to put in effort you need to apply you need to spend energy mm-hmm. on it to keep your body healthy and especially if you've neglected it as well so yeah. if you walk into the gym and you're 300 pounds then it's going to take some sweating and some tough times to get down to you know 200 and then you got to keep at it but you can maintain from there but conversely you know because of my knees um blown out in the army um i'm exercising at the moment and it's, it's amazing how your body changes over 20 years it's old um it cracks a lot more and it creaks and then you, you do this unexpected groaning um but because my knees out has thrown my hips out which is throwing my back out which is throwing my shoulders out so it's had this massive ripple effect, effect yeah, yeah. this domino effect um 
And so I'm lifting like two kilo dumbbells, like doing these shoulder raises out to the side. And I don't care. In the past, I would have been highly embarrassed and I probably would have been too ashamed to do them in public. Mm-hmm. But now I just love going there, being in my zone. I, uh, you know, I'm doing sort of group fitness and everyone around me is doing these squats and these things. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even touching the the bar that goes across your shoulders yeah barbell barbell okay so i'm not using that thing um i'm just sitting there and i'm just squatting as far as i can go in my own range Mm -hmm. and that's cool but i'm i'm loving starting there and trying to build myself back up yeah but it's going to take heaps of effort and Mm -hmm. i've done it mentally and i've got myself back in good good Mm -hmm. space now the challenge for me is to get my physical yeah this is, that's another good analogy for your mental health training as well because, you know, you can get, you know, it's funny now there's like a lot of apps out because like meditation's cool and everything and like you've got the muse head, but I love the muse head, man, but it's yeah. like gamifying it. So you're like, how many birds do you get? How many have you got four? Like, <laughs> yeah, whatever, I've got six, you know. like it's this, I haven't done that yet. It's No, no, I, I know, but this is a lot of people fall into the trap. This is a trap that I fell into when I, you know, had my experience and I got woke. And um, I started researching meditation and spirituality and stuff and I started meditating and I'd be like, oh, I've done 20 minutes before, I'm going to do 25. And I did this 40-minute one and as soon as I finished, I'll like message someone to tell them and I'm like, it's just such an ego thing to do. That's like me in the gym needing to post about my workout and letting people know how much I lifted just with my mental health. Yeah, right, Whereas right, if, right, I can, right, right. if we can go into a place like I do now with my mental health, like you're doing with your physical yeah. and just stay in your lane and work yeah, on yourself right. and enjoy that process – um, I think we're going to be a lot better for it than trying to compare and and do too much. Yeah. So when you when you when you mentioned that about the Muse app, it was a very foreign concept to me. Like messaging someone, I've did twenty five, or, or I have to do twenty five now. Like yeah. I, I haven't experienced that at all. But yeah. it's I suppose because um, yeah, that work that I'm doing on a physical level is moving into yeah the mental yeah. space as well. It's, I'm, I'm running a uh, meditation and mindfulness class at the moment. So if you're in the Mornington area, uh, when's it on? Up. So um, uh, my office is in a incorporated, not incorporated. It's I work out of a place called Enhanced Wellbeing Co in Mornington, and they've been predominantly Pilates and my therapy studio, and I've got an office um, under their roof. And we came together and went, let's create a, a well-being membership instead of like F45, pay 65 bucks a week to you know, train as much as you want. We're creating a holistic health membership where mm-hmm. you can come and do yin and vinyasa yoga classes. You can do mats pilates, reformer pilates and cardio pilates. You can do a stretch and release class and you can do meditation and mindfulness with me. Um, so I'm running like four four classes a week uh, as nice. part of this membership uh, it's for 55 bucks a week you can come to all and any of those classes and it's um, I, I say to people who has done meditation and those that have I say please disregard everything you <laughs> <laughs> have in your mind about meditation because this is going to be different yeah. and so you know having done uh, and, and, and still practice the Vipassana meditation, um, I really sort of incorporate elements of that into my meditation. But I don't want people to get comfortable 
comfortable in their meditation. Like I would do relaxation meditations and, and ones that make you feel good. But what I'm actually trying to achieve, an outcome I'm trying to help my attendees to get to is to learn how to manage their emotional state, to step in that space between stimulus and response. So when you can do it internally and you experience it through observing your knee that's yelling at you to fucking move this fucking hurts you <laughs> fucking prick I'm fucking injured from the fucking army get me the fuck out of here and you have to sit there and very calmly and equanimously go, just observe it objectively and go no you're impermanent you're going to, I'm not going to be here in a moment I'm just going to sit here and I'm not going to create an attachment to wanting you to go away I'm just going to allow you to be there for as long as you need to be there for and then when it goes away finally you're like fuck Thank God for that. <laughs> when, you, when you can experience that on that fundamental level, when you all of a sudden go into work or get home from work and shit hit the fan and then you know, this chaos, you're going to remain inherently more calm and composed yeah. because you're practicing this on the deepest possible level of you that exists. So I'm trying to create stimulus in my meditation classes, which goes against common sort of philosophy I suppose. what are you making them think of their mother-in-laws or something no I'm just <laughs> you're trying to get them fired next up one. this one's from Ryan no no I, I want to we've just started so I'm, I'm, I'm creating some comfort and yeah. all that sort of stuff but when we get into it a bit more every Saturday morning it's going to be a challenge how long can you sit without moving a muscle for mm. uh, but then I'm going to start introducing noise and because uh, and so, what I what I learnt through myself and through other people was part of this unnecessary suffering is that I think a lot of people with mental health issues have low tolerance. I think that's what it is. Mm -hmm. And we, we can't tolerate other people or we can't tolerate things because of the demands that we have on them. They should be different. They should be like, it shouldn't happen. So I think when we get rid of those shoulds and learn to tolerate things, life is so much easier. Yeah. Yeah, and so if I can create some stimulus that's going to bring into someone's awareness whether they're hypersensitive or triggered or not, then we can actually work on that. So it's going to be, I think it's going to be more helpful. It's going to be more real world yeah, oriented it's, meditation. And it's like you said, it's like you're going to the gym and you're providing some sort of resistance yeah. in order to, to exactly. grow and move past. So I, I meditated from Flinders Street Station down to Frankston peak hour on the train. Mm. And I didn't hear a thing. Now, this is a crowded train. People fart and burp and laugh and all that sort of stuff. And I just dropped completely out of it and just came back um, at Cannonook, which is a stop before Frankston. And to me, that is so much more beneficial than sitting in a room with a scented candle and nice calming yeah. music. Yeah. And like, There's more value in that. There's, there's so much more value. It's like... Yeah, the analogy like, you know, say if it is meditation or say if you're doing like, you know, ice bars or cold exposure and you're like, oh, I really need to get home and meditate today. It's like, or if you haven't meditated, you feel off. It's yeah. like you, you haven't learned anything from the meditation because yeah. you're still dependent on it and you can't take it into the real world. It's like we're doing these practices to become better in the real world. And so if I feel like I have to be at home in my scented candle room on my special cushion with no but you uh, know distractions. What that, you know what that place is called? What's that? Your comfort zone. Mm. 
And you, so you're sitting in your comfort zone, safe and secure with no stimulus, nothing yeah. bad's going to happen, mm. no one's going to interrupt you, no, you're not going to experience anything outside what you want to experience. Yeah. It's like you're, you're limiting any type of stimulus from reality yeah. so that things won't get thrown out of whack. So, so of course you're going to remain more equanimous and you're going to walk out with this false belief yeah. that you are oh, It's such good meditation. Yeah. Oh, God, I feel so much better all right jump on the train and let's see how you fucking meditate <laughs> so i think you know, discomfort precedes success so if we keep getting ourselves out of our comfort zone changing up our meditation practice creating some stimulus to challenge us i did um luke shipley the 100 meditators yeah yeah, 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 shout, yeah. Out luke. shout out luke uh he interviewed me on his podcast and I was talking about this and he said, oh, that's really funny. He goes, because I, I meditated sort of up on a paddock and it's, it's beautiful and so calm and serene. And, but there's this road that runs sort of a couple hundred metres away and every now and then I'll hear this truck go past. And, and he goes, oh, geez, it gives me the shits. And I'm like, that's perfect. That's awesome. Go and sit closer to the road. Yeah. Because it's, you know, ask for more traffic. Yeah. Because if you can learn to sit there and for none of that to agitate your state, yeah. if you can remain calm and composed when that stuff happens, then it's, you're going to benefit so much of more. Of course. It's like we've got the, the boundaries or the edges of that comfort zone and normally when we get to the edge, we just come back to the middle. Yeah. But if we can live on the edge, like live on the edges, then those and become comfortable, then the edges expand. Yeah. Yeah, and so if we constantly are not constantly, but a lot of the time living on our edge and becoming comfortable there, then that our circle will keep expanding. Yeah, I th- I'm just thinking out loud and in my head. My comfort zone is probably the size of the MCG. It's it's I created a belief ten years ago in my metanoia that I do my best work outside of my comfort zone. So that's what's given me a capacity to, you know. EML, a world-leading luxury health resort, say, can I come and work there as a visiting practitioner and somehow land a job there and mm-hmm. do all these other things, start my own practice and blah, 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 blah. And I haven't created these limiting beliefs because I've got this internal philosophy that, and which creates a dog that I, I can get out of my comfort zone and I'm going to swim, I'm going to be okay, it's going to be great. And then I think... <laughs> My partner, Beck, she's lived all over the world. She's experiencing, she's, she's had a child, she's, she's done so much. But she said her comfort zone is infinitely smaller than mine. Mm-hmm. And that's a real challenge in our relationship. It really creates an interesting dynamic because I'm constantly, let's get out, let's go and do this. And she's like, no, let's stay here, let's, yeah. let's do this. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it just, just popped off in my head then and I was, I was like, I... And I, I am consciously going to try and stay more in her comfort zone mm. for her. Well, I think if you, you'll both learn off each other if you both step into each other's comfort yeah. zones. But it's, real, it's really challenging for me to even say I want to stay in a comfort zone. It doesn't resonate with me. It's sort of... Mm. <laughs> Maybe being in the comfort zone is not in your comfort zone. Exactly. <laughs> that's what. That's exactly what I'm thinking. So maybe need to just. You got some sort of inverse comfort zone. You got to come back well, to the middle to try well, and get comfortable there because you're so of, used to the edges. 
part of what got me, in, you know, into you're ag- walking around the perimeter of the MCG, but you've neglected the middle where the pitch is. <laughs> you have to come back there for a bit. Yeah, I don't like it there. It's outside my comfort zone. It's inside my comfort zone. Oh, I'm confused. No, but part of my agoraphobia was I realised I became a comfort slob. Mm-hmm. You know, I was constantly in my comfort zone. Yes, and not challenging myself, not getting out out there and and feeling discomfort. So. Um, yeah, I think it's uh, it's probably important to temper that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Mate, we've done nearly an hour and a half. We'd better wrap this Fuck. bitch up. Wow. <laughs> that just rolled today. It did, didn't it? So, uh, I'm not going to say sorry, listeners. I hope, listeners, it's for those that are still with us, you got something out of it. If you did, then and you want to chat, drop us an email or DM us on the Instagrams. Yeah, let us know. Like, I've got... We both have actually been getting some really, really positive feedback and messages yeah. from people and, you know, pretty much, you know, we get a couple a week. I had one last week saying um, from an old friend I haven't seen in ages saying her partner's been listening, he's been going through a bit and really appreciates, you know, a couple of blokes talking about this stuff. So, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line and, yeah, that's it, mate. Peace out. Peace out. Nick beat me at golf. God damn it. Yeah. yeah. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Round two coming up. Stop. Round two coming up. Thank you for tuning into the Woke Blokes podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. Also, leave us a five-star rating. We thank you so much, and we'll see you all next time. Woke Blokes.